0: Good morning, River Ridge. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, you're so much better than that first group. I'm telling you right now. Merry Christmas to you too. Hey, uh, hey! if you don't know me, my name is Blair, I'm one of the pastors here, and so I'm so glad that you decided to join us this morning, and give us some of your time, we're glad that you are visiting with us, we hope you come back and try us again another time as well. Hey, if you couldn't make it here and you're visiting us online this morning for whatever reason you couldn't get in the building with us, I want to say Merry Christmas to you too, and glad you tuned in with us today, hope you can get back to the building soon as you can. Well, listen, we are single-digit days away from Christmas. How does that feel to you? Yeah. Yeah. We are getting so much closer. It's just about that time. Uh, Single digits is about the point where I start looking for my presents that I give everybody. Um, So I need to put that down on my calendar this week. Type A people are really struggling with me right now, like you almost got sick just now, didn't you? Like that felt uncomfortable. My family members that are here are probably sicker than you, so you know, relax, it'll get done. The truth is, I don't buy it anyway. My wife does it all, so it's we're good. But I have been busy. Uh, there's a lot that goes on, obviously, like everybody else with the Christmas season. There's plenty of things that are happening, and so it takes your time. So it's hard to kind of get out there and get all that shopping done or whatever. Like uh, Friday night, we actually had our Christmas staff party, dinner thing, whatever you call that. And so we were here all together. There's a staff. Um, we didn't necessarily exchange gifts, we did that thing where um, the gift of each other's presence, you know. I mean some of those gifts are you know you'd rather take back but you know you take what you can get I don't have to point out the names you know who I'm talking about right now obviously <clears throat> hard to re-gift some of those characters for sure. I'm um, just kidding of course uh, but this week we are continuing our series that Christmas is. Uh, if you were here the first week Andy kicked us off just two weeks ago that said Christmas is coming. Uh, it was a an opportunity for us to stop and to think and to prepare ourselves for the fact that Jesus was coming, uh, both 2,000 years ago as a baby, but also he was coming back again. And what we needed to do to prepare our hearts for that, to get ready for this Christmas season and what that was going to be like. Uh, Chad continued our series last week talking about Christmas is hope for everyone. And I'm going to continue today, and we're going to talk about Christmas is a gift. This week we're going to be in Galatians four. So if you have your device or your Bible, you still carry one of those. That's good for you. I'm glad you got it with you. We're going to be turning to Galatians four. So if you want to flip over there uh, and find it, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Gift giving in my family. While you're turning there, I got to tell you a little bit about them. Gift giving in my family is kind of a big deal. Not necessarily what's really in the gift itself, but all the kind of pomp that goes along with it. Uh, we on my dad's side of the family I don't know if anybody else does this on my dad's side of the family we actually open presents one at a time taking turns watching everybody open the present in a circle until the very last present is done does anybody else do that really okay I just thought we were bizarre but okay that's good I'm glad to know there's more of us Um, but not only in that my dad actually loves wrapping these gifts as well he takes a lot of pride in his wrapping what he does here on it (laughs) And he also takes a little extra game out of it. And so on each of the tags, or maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, he actually writes kind of a clue about what's inside the box, what's inside the present, kind of a pun that he plays with. And so we all kind of stand around trying to figure out what's in the box before we even open it. I mean, obviously it takes 12 seconds to open a present, so it's a waste of our time, but we do it anyway. Uh, So I got a few of those puns up here. Would you like to see some of them? Okay, that's good because they're in the next five slides, and it's gonna be dumb if we just stand in here with these. Alright, so here, let's check these out. Here's the first one. This is one of them. It says 16 and 10. This might say, dear Isaac, 16 and 10. Anybody? So these are actually letters in the alphabet. This is numbered letter P and this is J, so PJ's pajamas, right? Yeah. Oh, great. All right, move on to the second one. This is going to take a while. All right. Pig What you think? So these are for your piggies where they leave. So this is a pair of socks actually. Put your piggies in their pig Mhm. Some of them, not all of them are winners. All right, try this one. I hope this doesn't mess up your sink. pair of shoes called a clogs. So these were to my wife. Carol got a pair of clogs. No, move on. Banana. Banana peels. Yeah, you got it. Slippers. They they start to become repetitive. All we do is buy things for our feet in my family. I don't know. Socks, shoes, slippers. Yeah, good job. You got that one. All right. How about this one? I seen this coming. All right, this one's kind of tricky. This is actually for this year. My dad just told me this one. All right, so a little backstory is that my little sister is an English professor, okay? And so this is a present for her husband. And so when he reads it, I seen this coming, she is gonna automatically correct what that is and say, Saul, dad. And it's actually a Saul inside the box ready for him. That was good, right? I don't get to be there for that one. But I, yeah, she will inevitably correct him on that. So it's really fun that he gets to play it out like that, but really cool. Carol was also telling me the other day, actually, about the fact that I'm, a, I'm an awful gift user. Um, so people give me gifts and I don't, I don't really do so well at using the gifts that people give me. Like, I mean, everybody has an ant that like, crochets them a wallet that they're not gonna use, but now I'm not even talking about those kind of gifts. I'm talking about the ones that you like actually put on your list. Uh, My lists are really, honestly, really short too. And so generally whatever is on the list is the one thing that I wanted, you know? So a year ago, I wanted to think, I I was really excited about the idea of, of going camping. I, I really wanted to take my boys out. I wanted to go somewhere, get out a cheap vacation, basically go camping. So I asked for a tent. That was the one thing I wanted last year for Christmas. Carol pointed out to me last week as she's wrapping new presents that that tent is still unopened in the garage in the same box. Zero times has that tent been out. On top of that tent is a leaf blower. I was really excited about this leaf blower. That was last year's birthday present. I was really excited because the idea, I thought it was going to make my life so much easier if I had this leaf blower. And so after I mow the grass, I'll blow the clippings out of the road back into my yard or whatever. My neighbors over here are saying, You don't sweep up your grass clippings as is. <laughs> I was like, Well, I wanted to help. I thought I was going to do it. But six months later, it's still in the box, right on top, the unused tent. I have an incredible amount of gift cards in my wallet right now, places that I love to go. But for some reason, as soon as somebody gives me a gift card, I can't find the directions to get back to that place anymore. My favorite places to go. So I'm an incredibly bad gift user. And the thing about a gift is, is that if you don't use it, it's a worthless gift, right? There's nothing useful about it other than it takes up some space in my garage at this point. This morning, we're going to be looking at the idea that Christmas is a gift, And so we're going to be looking at Galatians 4, and we're going to read four verses out of there. I want to read them all at one time together so that we can hear the whole passage. And then after that, we're going to break them apart a little bit at a time to see maybe what's in there, and hopefully we'll gain something from it. Let's check this out. We're going to be in Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent a spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There's really a lot packed into here and we're gonna pull it apart a little bit at a time here. But let me pray for us this morning before we get started. God, I'm so thankful that you are our God, that we can come before you saying the word Father to you, that we can know within our hearts that you have done great things. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can open up, look at, and understand more about what it means to be a follower of yours or to know you more. God, I thank you that you teach us. I thank you that the truth is there and that the word is alive and can be active and it can have an effect on our lives. I pray that it does that this morning, that your word would change us in ways that it has in the past. Thanks for loving us, amen. All right, so before we get too far along in here, I wanna talk about a little bit about the book of Galatians, uh, just to give us a kind of a, a bit of a context here, just in case we don't all know this. Um, so the book of Galatians, like several of the books in the New Testament are actually letters. Uh, letters, just like in the Bible, um, they're just like any other letter. So there's an intended purpose, so a person, there's a person who writes the letter, they have a reason for writing the letter, and it's to a specific person that they are writing this letter. The book of Galatians is one of those letters, actually. It's a letter from, written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing this letter to the churches of Galatia. Uh, If you're not familiar with where Galatia is, it's kind of where modern-day Turkey is right now. While Paul was on one of his missionary journeys at one point, he had stopped in this area in Galatia. And while he was there and was sharing the message of Jesus, several people converted and became followers of Jesus at that point. They then established some churches as a result of that, and then Paul took off and went on uh, to his next stops on his missionary journey. In a short time, though, some other teachers had come along, and they'd kind of confused the Galatians a little bit here. They had started teaching them other things that weren't necessarily what Paul was teaching them, specifically ways that they were supposed to live their lives and actions that they were supposed to take in order to be a follower of, of Jesus. One of the things that they told them to do was specifically was circumcision. Uh, circumcision was the way in the Old Testament that God marked his people, Uh, And they would say that these are God's people. And so these Jewish leaders had kind of come in and started teaching these things that not only do you need to do this, but you also need to do these couple of things. And so Paul writes this letter specifically to address those issues and says, I want to help you and kind of straighten things out here a little bit because you've got confused by some other people coming in and teaching some different stuff so we'll just jump right into it here. So Paul says for the, for the first part of it there, you see, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, the fullness of time. What this actually means is that this is the exact perfect time in history. This is God's perfect design place that the exact time in which God is going to send forth his son in all of history. So I I had the question while I was, while I was looking at it, like, why, why then, really? You know, why not 400 years before then? Why not 1,000 years later? What is the reason why this is the perfect time? And as I did some research, and we can't be 100% confident that this is exactly right, but we can make a really good educated guess based on what was going on at that point. See, at this time, first of all, there's a couple of things. First of all, when Jesus finally came... There was a great hunger and an anticipation for a Messiah that had never been there before. See, at this point in history, Israel was under the Roman Empire. They were under Roman rule, and Romans ruled by force. They crushed any group that stood or opposed against them, and they crushed their identity, taking that away from them completely, whether it was their cultural or it was their individual identity. Anyone that stood up to the oppression of Rome dealt with it. This was specifically the case on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. Uh, And Judea would have been one of those places where Jesus was sent and born. So by this time, Jesus comes. They're ready for the Messiah to come to save them and redeem them. There's this hunger amongst the people. There's a hunger for Jesus. Jesus. They just didn't know at that point that it was Jesus that they were hungry for yet. On top of that, you've got the thing called a Pax Romana. And I don't know if most of you are familiar with, or yeah, the Pax Romana, which is, if you can think back to maybe your world history from, from, from high school, the Pax Romana was essentially a peace that was lived throughout the entire Roman Empire. So for the first time, there was peace within the groups of the people there. Along with that, the Romans had decided to advance their road system. So essentially, they had created roads through the entire Roman Empire. And for the very first time, someone could travel far, they could travel wide, and they could travel fast. Along with that comes the fact that news, for the very first time, could travel And never been able to get from one place to the other very quickly because there wasn't just the system for it. But now someone could take news safely and easily to anywhere in the known world at that point. Including the gospel message. But here's what I think is really interesting about this point of time. I think God was actually making a statement with the timing of when he sent Jesus. See, when Jesus was born, he was born right in the middle of two heights of powers. They were going on at exactly the same time. One was Rome, and the other was the Pharisees. Rome was the height of human power and authority. The world had never seen anything like the Roman Empire before, and and to be honest, it has not seen anything since that. America is a really strong and powerful country, but when you put it up against the Roman Empire at that point, we don't stand in the same ballpark. They were the height of human power. The second was the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, they were the religious rulers of that day. They had grown in influence, they'd grown in power, and they'd grown in control as well. They were the height of religious power. So Jesus shows up, born right dead in the middle of the height of the the climax of man's power and religion's power. I think his birth, the timing of this, says something. The gospel conquers both. The timing of this says that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is greater than man's power and it's greater than religion's power. The timing says that the gospel conquers political unrest. It conquers cultural division. It conquers racial oppression. It conquers social injustice. It conquers religious burdens. It conquers the fact that you feel forgotten, and it conquers the fact that you might be alone. The timing says all of those things. At exactly the right time in human history, God gave his one and only son. The gift of Jesus at the exact right time in all of history the gift of Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is wrapped up in the nativity scene that we see here, but the nativity scene isn't all of the gospel. One of the things I was thinking about this, uh, this week, I was thinking about this idea of gifts and different kinds of gifts you can get. One of the gifts my dad gave my daughter for her birthday this year, which was about a month ago, she turned three, was a suitcase. A suitcase. Uh, this suitcase was an Elsa Anna, it was a frozen suitcase, perfect her size. And so my daughter just unwraps it and then starts rolling it around the house like she's traveling the world everywhere with it. She wasn't quite aware, though, that if she would have opened that suitcase up, there was a bunch more gifts in it. She just didn't know it. She just was having fun with what she had, you know. And we found out later when she wanted to start stuffing into it that there was a bunch more in there. And that's kind of what we find from this passage that we're looking at this morning. The gift of Jesus comes equipped and included in that suitcase of Jesus is a bunch more other things that are included in there. This passage shows us that. There's at least four in here and those are the four we're gonna look at this morning but you might be able to find more as well. But this morning, if you're taking notes, we're we're gonna jump to those in just a second here. But let's look at verse five here. Here's the first one that we find. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. That first note that you have there is Jesus bring, the gift of Jesus brings the gift of redemption. The idea of redemption, uh, if you think of the word redeem, you can kind of think of uh, redeeming a coupon. Or maybe a better way to think of it is maybe like a, like a pawn shop. Like you, you sold your stuff to the pawn shop and then you want to go and buy it back You need to exchange a payment for it In order to get it back So this idea of to redeem something Means to buy back To get it back In exchange for some kind of payment Paul uses this illustration Right before this in verse 3 Which we didn't read He starts talking about the idea of slavery He said that we Or the people then People under the law were enslaved Now for a lot of us This idea of slavery doesn't feel comfortable. We don't really like it. We wish those icky parts of the Bible weren't necessarily there. But the people in Galatia would have fully understood what Paul was trying to explain here. See, essentially he was trying to let them know that the Jewish people had become slaves of the law. They were trying to keep it. They were trying to do everything they could. They were doing it every day. It was the focus of their life. Anything and everything that they did had to do with the law. In fact, their lives were no longer their own anymore. They were enslaved to maintaining this law. Most of us, when we read and see the word law in there, the first thing that pops in our mind for most of us is usually like the 10 commandments, right? The 10 commandments, there's there's a few of them, right? There's 10 of them. Uh, Do not steal. Do not kill, uh, don't have any other gods before me, maintain a day of rest, and and six more that go along with that. But included with those 10, and they are in there, but the truth is is that there are actually over 600 commands that God gave the Israelites in order to maintain, uh, in order to stay blameless in his sight. Things like what they should eat, things like what they should wear what they were supposed to do on these special holidays or festivals, how they were supposed to maintain this day of rest, all kinds of things. And this side of Jesus, we look at that list of over 600 things that they're having to do, and we're like, how did did anyone make that happen? How was anyone okay with God at that point? The short answer is, is they really couldn't. They couldn't keep the, all those laws because they weren't perfect. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, they weren't perfect, we don't know any perfect people, right? And that is what it was going to take in order to keep these 600 plus things that they were going to have to be perfect. This isn't news to any of us in here, we're not thinking we're not we're, we're perfect, you know, but that wasn't the intention of the law anyway. The intention of the law was never to have a bunch of people look at the law, keep these laws, find these perfect people, put these perfect people on a pedestal and then everybody look at the perfect people. That wasn't the point of the law. The intention of the law always to show people that they couldn't keep it. That they couldn't maintain it. That they were in need of help. That they were in need of a savior, that they were in need of the Messiah. A lot of people get defeated, though, in this exact moment. They get defeated by the fact that they've been trying hard. They work hard, they work hard, they work hard, and then they fail. They try, they jump back on there, they work hard, they work hard, they work hard, and then they fail. And at this point, they just really want to kind of give up. But the message and the gift of Jesus is not the idea to give up. It's actually to lean in. Lean in specifically to him. John 3.16, kind of the most famous verse, says this. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, whoever leans in, whoever trusts, whoever puts their faith in him shall not die but have eternal life. See, God gave his son directly for those who were in such need And this verse has so much theological stuff built in it. But when you couple it with the verse that comes right after it, check this out. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn that world, but in order that that world might be saved through him. See, the message of Jesus was not condemnation for those of us who couldn't keep the law. The message of Jesus was saying, I'm not judging you for it. I didn't come to judge you for not being perfect. I came to save you. Jesus comes into this broken world. He sees a broken and enslaved people. He doesn't come to judge them, but to redeem them. He's here to buy them back out of the slavery and make them free to live. I love this part of the passage. Jesus brought the redemption. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus has redeemed you and bought you out of slavery into a free life... There is no more judgment for you. That's incredible news. We should never, ever, 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 ever get tired of hearing the gospel message. If Jesus has redeemed you, then you are redeemed. You are no longer a slave. I feel like someone should hear that this morning. If you are redeemed, then you are redeemed and you are no longer a slave. You are no longer under the judgment that was once there. You might still sin. You might blow it from time to time. But with Jesus redeemed you, you were set free from the consequences of that sin. I want you to sit in the power of God's grace this morning. I want you to wrestle with the truth that's here in this message that's here for us. Is that you are no longer held captive by this anymore. This is truth that set you free. He's already paid the penalty. It's no longer there to pay. There's nothing left to pay. The debt is clear. Jesus paid it all. Verse 5, it doesn't stop there with that gift, though. We had the gift of redemption, but it says that Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you're taking notes, the second one there is the gift of Jesus brings the gift of a new identity. I love it. Not only did he not, bring us, did he not just bring us out of slavery, but he adopted us into the family. The redemption was never the end goal. He didn't plan to stop there. He wasn't like, okay, I paid your debts, now go live your life just like you've been doing it. You're good to go. It wasn't just a really good Samaritan act at that point. I redeemed so that we might make you part of the family. No longer are you an outsider trying to earn your way into God's good graces. He said, if I redeemed you, I'm making you a son. I adopted you. I've changed your identity from slave to son. I think most of us live somewhere in between those two places probably, though. Many of us in here would say, I've accepted this, this truth about Jesus. I believe, I put my faith in him, I trusted him for that. But we don't live like we understand this idea of adoption. In ancient Rome, adoption had a really powerful meaning. They would understand this at this point in Galatia. They would have understood what this meant. See, an adopted child actually had more rights than a biological child had. There's a couple of things about it. First, that an adopted child would be a permanent part of the family. See, once you went through the process of legal adoption in Rome, there was no way of ever going back. A biological child actually didn't have that same right. If they bothered their family enough, if they were uh, always getting into trouble, if they kept messing up, the father could actually disown them and cut them out of the family. That wasn't possible for an adopted child. He has adopted you into the family. Paul really wants us to understand this more. He didn't use a biological child. He didn't just say you were a child of God. He said, you've been adopted. He wanted us to catch hold of this. He said, if you've been adopted into the family, he will never, ever, ever, ever turn his back on you again. You have a new identity. See, an adopted child in Rome at that point when they received a new identity, any prior commitments, any responsibility, any debts that they owed were completely erased. They took on new rights, new responsibilities, new debts that were part of the new identity that they received. You have been adopted as God's children. second thing that we see about adopted children is that an adopted child was freely chosen by their parents and really desired by them. Paul wants us to to understand that this morning, that God has chosen you. He has selected you. He has deemed you worthy of being loved by him. He has offered to you his name, his crest. You're loved and you are mine. The Bible is very clear here in saying those that he redeemed, he has prepared for adoption. He's gone through all the steps necessary to make us adoptable so that we can be his children, even to the level of an intimacy that he wants to have with us, that we cry out, Abba, Father. I really like that they don't translate that word Abba in there for us. I think probably the reason why they don't translate it to English is because it's the word that Jesus used when he addressed his God the Father. That's what he said. He said, Abba. We can enter the room the same way that Jesus enters the room. When we walk into the room of God the Almighty, we can approach like Jesus does. That word Abba, if you don't know, means daddy. It's an intimate way of going before the father and not just saying, oh, father, it says, daddy. It's almost like you nestled up in God's lap. That's how intimate he wants to be with that. Now, I personally have struggled with that all the time because it feels weird or uncomfortable to me, but it's what the scripture says. It says, you can now approach the throne with the word daddy. We are free and now we are sons. Verse 6 shows into the next thing that the gift of Jesus brings here. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts. Third point there, the gift of Jesus brings the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we could do weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on just talking about all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, He is for sure the most misunderstood part of the triune God. We just are a little bit confused about what his role is at times. But just listen to some of the attributes that are given directly to the Spirit. He is, the Spirit is, the author of all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed it's actually spirited into them. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All 66 books he inspired. God breathed out the words for man to write down through the words given to them by the Holy Spirit. He's known as the comforter. He's known as the counselor. He is the advocate. See, Jesus was a calming presence for his disciples while he was here on earth, and when he was getting ready to leave, he told them he was gonna send them a counselor and an advocate because they were starting to get nervous. He was the one that calmed everything down in the midst of what was going on. And right when he left, things got crazy and they didn't know what to do. So he went away, he was going to send the spirit into them. The spirit would be their counselor and comforter. No longer would they walk alongside Jesus, but I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. He is the convictor of sin. He is the guide. Just as the Spirit guided the writers of the, all of Scripture to record the truth, so does he promise to guide the believers to be able to understand that truth as well. See, God's truth is foolishness to the world because it's spiritually discerned. But he will make it possible for us to understand it and understand who God is and what God plans for us. He's the intercessor one of the most encouraging, comforting aspects of the Holy Spirit is the fact that his ministry of intercession means he goes on, pun of God, on our behalf, talking to God in ways that we, when we don't really know what to say with God, he speaks for us so that we can communicate with God. He does the praying for us. He's the revealer. He's the teacher. He's the witness. He is the seal, the guarantee, the stamp on us. In Ephesians, it actually says in him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until after we acquire possession of it to the praise of him be the glory. We don't use this very often, I think mostly at this point in our, our life where we have email and we have texting. So when we send a message to someone else, we don't, aren't real concerned that when it gets there, they don't know who it's from because we send it, they get it almost instantaneously. We sometimes use this idea of, of stamping something with a seal when you think of a notary. So there are sometimes when you sign a document, you have to have someone watch you sign it so that they can sign and stamp it to say that was actually you signing this document. At this point in time, what was done when we think of this stamp or this seal of this guarantee, you can think of almost like a king when he would send out an official document that needed to go somewhere else. Now, this letter had to travel a distance and a time, and it could have been opened at any point in there. And so what they do, they take wax, and they heat it up, and then they take a stamp, and they seal the letter closed with it. And it says that as long as that seal is there, you can know that this is the exact letter that I sent you. It hasn't been replaced. It hasn't been changed. It's the guarantee of the words that are inside of it are from the king. This passage says that God has stamped our lives with the Holy Spirit himself. He marks you as a child of God. The last thing that we're gonna see here from the, the gift is verse 7. And if a son, then an heir through God. The last thing we see is that the gift of Jesus brings the gift of an inheritance. I don't know if any of the ladies in here had picked up on it, or if you're asking this question a little bit, why does this passage, or why does this only reference sons? How come it doesn't say anything about daughters in here? Some of you might have a translation, actually, that reads child or children, and and that's okay, but I think you miss out on a little bit of the context with that if you have that. See, this isn't Paul trying to isolate women out in a negative way. The reason he says sons right there is that he's trying to actually highlight and elevate women in such a way that had never been done before. In this time in culture, women would have been considered property. They had no legal standing. They had no legal standing in order to, in, uh, to be able to obtain an inheritance. So like if my family lived at that point and I died, my inheritance would go to my two sons. My daughter, Abby, who's three years old, would just be out of luck. That's just, that's just the reality of this point in history. But Paul is not just writing to the men here. In Galatians 3.28, right before that, right before where we started reading, Paul writes this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's both men and women. By saying sons, he's actually saying that women have earned the same status in his eyes as men have. They have the same privileges and they can receive the same legal inheritance that a man can. Women are adopted as sons too. He's writing this to everyone in the Galatian church and he's writing this to everyone who hears this today. So today that means that he's writing to men and women both. But what this does, this applies to to black, to white, to Asian, to Hispanic. This implies to the disenfranchised. This implies to the oppressed. This applies to the forgotten. This applies to the elite, to the broken, to the outcast, to the well-off. All can be redeemed and all can be adopted as sons. All can have full status and all can have a full inheritance. And this is the beauty of Christmas and this is the beauty of the gift of Jesus. It's incredibly, what you don't think about, it's incredibly exclusive, the gift of Jesus. And I said exclusive. See, Jesus specifically said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. It's an incredibly exclusive group. But that's incredibly exclusive exclusive, but what's so beautiful about it is, is that this exclusive statement is entirely inclusive in that it's for everyone. All can be redeemed. All can be adopted. All can have full access. He has adopted me. He has put a spirit in me. He has made me an heir. This morning, we want to encourage you in the truth that is the gift of Jesus. Jesus. Along with Jesus, you unpack the suitcase of who He is, and you see what is filled in there—the gifts that He brings to us. This morning, we want to give you one of, something to help you remember that, just like we did with the uh, the fragrant thing. What was that thing? That that thing you put on your mirror? What's that thing called? Air freshener. air freshener. That's what it's called. Not a not a fragrant circle. That's what I was getting ready to say. All right, so that air freshener that we've had on our mirrors and we get to smell that pine smell every day, all day. We wanna give you something different this morning. So if you are over on this right side of the row, right underneath your seat, there's a basket there. And inside that basket, I want you to take one and then I want you to pass it on to make sure everybody gets one this morning. Inside of there is a little gift can't really open it it's meant to be a gift but we want you to stick this somewhere where you're going to see it through this Christmas season somewhere maybe close to your tree that when you look over to your tree you see this little gift there and you're reminded we want you to be reminded of the encouragement that is the gift of Jesus and that every time you see it you'll remember that he came to redeem me that he wanted to adopt me that the Holy Spirit lives within me that there is an inheritance that is mine And as you do that through the week, I I, I pray that it encourages and excites you. But as you hold it this morning, I want you to think about a couple of things. I want to give you just a question to kind of sit and ponder on for just a second. I want you to take a second and wrestle with yourself with this question Am I living like a slave or a son? Are you living in the prison that is sin? Freedom's right here. You can go one of two directions. You can either go towards Jesus or you can go towards sin. There's no other way. One promises prison. The other promises freedom. Or are you kind of trying to work out your freedom? Uh, You're trying to redeem yourself. You're trying to earn enough grace. I'm trying to earn God's acceptance. I'm trying to work out so I'll be in God's favor. Are you a slave to good works? It won't work. That's religion. God's works come after being redeemed. They are a response. Chad shared an illustration with me this week when on the thought of redemption and slavery. He shared this illustration with me uh, that a professor had shared with him in seminary a few years back, and he was talking about this idea that for a lot of us, we need to get our head around this picture. We need to think of our slavery in this way, that we're sitting in a jail cell. Redemption is, is that Jesus has come and already unlocked the door, and he's opened it up, and we have a choice to walk through it or we can stay in that jail cell. For many of us, we've actually walked out of the jail cell. We kind of relate to the Galatians a little bit. We actually asked Jesus to come into our heart. We believed into him. We leaned into him. We walked out of the jail cell and we were free. But someone came along the way and confused us a little bit. And the message got changed for us a little bit. And for some reason, we walked ourselves back into the jail cell. And now we've got ourselves imprisoned by the law and good works again and it was never intended to be that way. His grace was sufficient. When he came and did what he did, his grace was sufficient, it paid it all and it was all taken care of then, now, forever, forever. Some reason we've put ourselves back in this place where we think we need to work out our salvation in such a way that we need to earn it, but no, God, puts the grace in us. He redeems us in such a way he makes us sons, gives us the ability to live this life out, but never wanted us to go back into a prison to torture that ever again. Do you feel like you're working in order to maintain your status? God, through Jesus, has made you a son. I pray that today you see that truth and you live in that truth that you can go before the Father, completely redeemed, blameless in his eyes, and say, Daddy. Let me close this this morning. God, thank you of the truth of scripture that when we open it up, we can learn what's real about you. Like the Galatian people, we sometimes get confused and we go the wrong direction and we get misled by the thoughts in our brains um, or what other people are saying. I thank you that you clearly said here that you have paid that penalty already for us. We no longer have to earn the right. Jesus did it for us. I pray that we are encouraged, excited, inspired by your word this morning, that it would have an effect on us as we live out this life this week. Through this Christmas season, let us joy in the gift that is Jesus each and every day. Thank you for the way you loved us. Thank you for loving us all the way to the cross. Amen. Hey, that concludes our service today. Next service up is going to be our Christmas services. We'll have them both on the 23rd and 24th. I can't wait for you guys to be here and be a part of that. Glad you guys were here. Have an incredible Christmas. Merry Christmas.